Hey, lovers. I'm Wyo Lee, and welcome to Sex at Work, a podcast where we gather insights from the people who shape and profit from our sexual culture as they think about different parts of doing it all day long at work. Today's guest I invited on when researching fem-led sex-related startups, and it was the answer to the frequently asked question, Francis, what do your parents think about this? That led me to immediately write to her, cementing my decision that it was time to launch this podcast. Unless explicitly stated otherwise, these are not branded partnerships. This is my attempt to understand mainstream thinking about sexual norms and its research for Mission 69 because I want to highlight and learn from brands and people who are already working to make the world a sexier place. If you want to join the mission to make the sex stories slash sex at work road trip in my future playship slash mobile personal creativity studio a reality, visit mission69.org. I probably shouldn't have to say this for this podcast, but just in case, please keep all sexy thoughts and feelings about myself and our guest to yourself and enjoy. Our guest today is Francis Tang, founder of Awkward Essentials and inventor of the dripstick. You can find them on Instagram at Awkward Essentials. Francis, welcome. Hi, Wyo. Excited to be here. So excited to ask you all these questions. First, can you tell our listeners, is it fair to say that your work is sex related? Yes, it is. So the product that we sell, it's 100% sex related. Do you feel like it's sexy? Like it's sex related, but like, does your work feel sexy to you? And what's your definition of sexy? So it's really funny because I think work is sexy for us because everybody wants to talk about it. It's very interesting. It's a shared experience. We sell an after-sex cleanup tool. And so many of us have gone through that. And so it's very relatable, but it's something people don't talk about. So when it comes up, it's sexy in that it catches attention and people want to talk about it. But we aren't talking about the pleasure aspects, Right. right? We're not talking about the fun stuff. We're not talking about the traditionally sexy part of sex, we're actually talking about the sticky, gooey, embarrassing, shut the bathroom door part of sex. Mm -hmm. So we kind of like, we're sexy and that the topic is interesting, but it's not a sexy, fun thing that we're addressing. Got it. So it's not like the bounce a wow wow definition of sexy, but it is quite literally sexy. Yeah, it is. I mean, I guess compared to being like a CPA or an accountant, like (laughs) selling an after sex cleanup punch, is definitely more sexy. <laughs> okay, okay. Do you identify as a sex worker? And how do you define sex worker? So no one has ever asked me that before. And I think it's very interesting because I, I've never thought about it. It's not something that I, I guess I would identify with. I guess I yeah. identify more with like a creative founder entrepreneur type. Yeah. But in terms of sex worker, it's really anyone that, is working in the space. So I can't say that we don't touch that space because we absolutely do. Right. So this question exists because last December, another podcaster was interviewing me and pointed out to me that by his definition, I'm a sex worker. So like the work that I do with the podcast, I share my personal experiences and, and they're, they're erotic. And I also sell nudes. And he was like, you're definitely a sex worker. And so then there's something in my brain that's like, oh, well, should I go farther and make more money? Like, what am I doing? And so then I'm like, I wonder if people who work in like regular companies that are like so closely related or tied to sex feel that way. So you don't have to worry about like when you're putting out job calls or anything, like nobody's concerned about being a sex worker at your company. Right, exactly. Our company is very much through the lens of a hygiene startup. Great. So we don't, 
necessarily consider ourselves a sex company, even though we are addressing something that happens after sex. Got it. Okay. So give us a little more information about the work that you do as it relates to sex. Like give us all the details and your founding story if you want, the sexiest parts, your favorite parts, and what led you to this calling. Yeah. So Awkward Essentials, we're kind of like we said at the beginning, Awkward Essentials is a hygiene company. And right now we sell an after sex cleanup sponge. So it's a sponge that absorbs all the excess fluids after sex. You may know it as a cum sponge, which is what it is lovingly known on TikTok. (laughs) That's amazing. And we just say it, right? That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it's for. I invented this product because cleaning up after sex for me was just a pain in the ass. Like I personally did not like rolling off the bed and going to the toilet. And maybe as I got older, I like got more OCD about it. And so I would like jump in the shower and like use my finger and try to dig it out. (laughs) And then like, you know, you're at work the next day and you like feel this like gush and you're like, is that my period? And it's not your period. It's like from the night before, it's like this whole ordeal. And every time I would Google for a solution on the internet, people were talking about it in the depths of the internet. So these like anonymous Reddit threads or like mm-hmm. Yahoo Answers, which no longer exist. And everyone is just completely anonymous. And they're like, oh, you know, I use a sacrificial sex towel or I use the nearest t-shirt or, you know, we use an old rag. And so that was the only answer I could find for years. And I was like, okay, fine. That's great for the outside, but this is an internal issue, right? Like, the cum is inside. Yeah. Mind you, I'm on birth control. And so <laughs> it's inside. And I'm all for like wipes and getting it off the outside. But really for me, the biggest, I guess, uncomfortable feeling was feeling it come out and yeah. like get on my sheets, right? Like washing sheets is like the worst washing machine experience because it's like a massive sheet. And so I was thinking about this for a very long time, but I was nervous to tell anybody because it's it's weird, right? Mm-hmm. right? Like still to this day, we are very nervous talking about sex as a society. It's still considered a very taboo topic. I mean, even if I wanted to start like a vibrator company, it's still like, oh my gosh, a vibrator company. And so for me, I'm talking about going beyond what we normally talk about as it relates to sex, beyond the pleasure parts. I'm talking about the probably one of the most awkward parts because it's not a fun thing. You shut the bathroom door. A lot of Men have no idea what's going on there. They don't know you have to pee. I mean, we just got a comment on one of our TikToks. The guy was like, it absorbs. And we're just like, what? In what world did you learn that it just absorbs into the body? Like, like, do you think our periods absorb? Like, (laughs) it's wild. So I just like didn't tell anyone because I just felt awkward about it. And I was at a very low point in my life when another business I tried to start didn't work out. And so I told a couple of friends. And I'm lucky because these friends were supportive Mm -hmm. and were like, whoa, you know, that's very interesting. Let's talk about this. Let's expand upon the conversation. And I am very honest when I tell people this. I think as a female founder, I needed that push. I needed that confidence. I did not think of this idea and say, I'm going to start a company. I'm going to do this. Like, no, I needed these little pushes of confidence along the way or else I wouldn't have gotten here. And so that first push that I got was from those friends that were supportive and they were willing to have an open conversation with me about sex, about if this is something women go through, about the opportunity, as opposed to trying to protect me and tell me why it wouldn't work. And so that was kind of like my first 
you know how when your parents like push you on like a bike and you're like on training wheels? Yeah. I felt like it was like that. And then from there, I went through an accelerator in Los Angeles called okay. Grid 110. And it was an incredible experience. And so during this experience, you learn how to talk about your product, pitch your product. And so oh. when I first started pitching, I used statistics like you would pitch a business, like yeah. you'd pitch a normal startup. And it just, it did not work. It fell flat. People were deeply offended. They felt like I was accusing them of having sex, which isn't a bad thing. Like your mom had sex, right? Like that's why you exist in the world. Yeah. But I learned that that language for the product that we're doing, just it didn't fly. And so over the course of that accelerator, I shifted the language that I used to being about a personal experience because it truly was. I personally truly just didn't like the feeling. Some people love it and that's great. But this was to me personally what I just didn't enjoy and was trying to solve for. And mm -hmm. so the language of how I pitched it and even just as our company tone and brand and personality as a whole shifted to just being rooted in Francis. Like I'm Francis, I have this issue. And so I made this cool and we end there. And that is what kind of catapulted and was the seed for our brand personality and how we talk about things now. How does that feel to you? Like to be the Francis and like, is that uncomfortable or have you just gotten used to it? No, I've pretty much gotten used to it. I think I'm that friend that talks about those things like, yeah. hey, like I just got a weird pimple in my ear, you know, yeah, just, like, I do <laughs> the weird things like, and so, you know, I was kind of been that weird kid. And so at the very beginning, it's uncomfortable. Right. And I had to really figure out how I was going to talk about it. And I tell people I never intended to become the face of the cum sponge, the inventor of a cum sponge. That's not where I saw my place on the internet or in this world, you know, I very much grew up watching chick flicks and thought I was going to work in a glass office building yes. and wear suits to work yes. and like, you know, Little just, clicky high heels. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Cute suits and work at a desk and get off at five and yeah. just what you see on TV. And this is the absolute polar opposite, but it is so much fun. And I think that is where a lot of that sexiness does come into play because yeah. Not only are conversations every day just fascinating and entertaining, but business-oriented, the kind of feedback and reception that we hear from our customers is incredibly rewarding. I could not, not imagine some of the groups of people that we've been able to help. When I created this product, I was like, yeah, I just it's irritating for me and I just don't want it there. But we are hearing from women who are like, oh my gosh, I thought there was something wrong with like, I thought there was a yes. problem. Yes. And so the fact that you're actually talking about it and I'm realizing other people experience this, like, wow, this is wild. Or people who have sensory issues or like autism, they're like, I don't like that feeling. Yes. And this has improved my sex life. Yes. I'm a person who's extremely reactive to like squishy and slimy things. And I've come around on cum. Like I can receive it other places. But there is a specific thing about like the dripping that I just can't, I can't, like, I'm one of those people where I'm like, Ugh! you know, even though I love all the other dirty, messy, weird things. Yeah. And so I just, I would have never found these groups or known that we could help had I not just put my face on the internet yeah. and like do this thing. And so it's been so rewarding and so fun. We do get pushback, which is fascinating. Like what? We get a lot of pushback. Sometimes people assume that the product is invented by a man or that the product doesn't solve for anything. And kind of like I said earlier, like not everyone has this issue or yeah. some people can push it out or 
some people like it yeah. and that is totally fine like it's a preference right like yeah. everything in this space it's a preference whatever makes you feel the most comfortable is what we advocate for whether yeah. it's a product or not and so I think because it's a new way of doing something, we've always done something a certain way. And now I'm trying to introduce a new way. People just feel very strongly about it. And because it's related to like a woman's body and it's related to sex, like we are in this intersection of things that people have very strong opinions about whether or not they experience it themselves. On top of that, we have the internet. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I get a lot of like random comments from people who are like, this is terrible. This is stupid. And I'm like, you're an adult human being with literally infinite choices of how to spend your time and energy. Go watch something else. And why are you like wasting a time leaving a rude comment or review on something you hate? Like go put it into positive, like where I'm just like baffled. I feel the same way. I mean, our product is, it's a sponge, right? It's (laughs) evil sponge. (laughs) I'm like people of the internet, you are arguing about a sponge. I don't know if you realize that, but that's what's happening here. And everyone feels the need to make their opinion known about this product. And I mean, I'm like, thank you. I appreciate the attention. Like, it's totally. incredible. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. They're just confused fans. <laughs> That's a really great way to put it. I read I read that in a book that like haters are just confused fans because if they're giving you their energy and attention, there's something there that's activating to them. So I would like to hear from you in your professional space, like in your, do you have an office or what, what's your, how big is your team? Yeah, we're a pretty small team, but okay. we do have an office Yeah, okay. in, Cal- in California. We're not far from you. Oh, great. How do you talk about like as a group professionally, it sounds like it is health oriented, but like sex comes up. How do you keep the lines or how do you, what's the organization of the lines between personal and professional boundaries in the office? We very much operate like a regular direct to consumer company, but the types of problems that we're solving for and like products that we're creating just happen to be for weird, sticky, gooey, awkward things that we normally don't talk about. Yeah. Are there like giggle inducing moments where you're like very, very seriously like talking about vagina things and then suddenly you burst out laughing? Or is it just like part of the interaction of your life? Like how does it, what's it feel like? It's normal. So we will have like like an hour long conversation about anal sex and it'll be a completely serious like business manner. Yeah. And sometimes I'll kind of step away from myself and like think about this. I'm like, wow, like every day I get to come in and talk about these things that there's no, like nobody else I know is able to just like talk about in like seriously, right? Like, I mean, that is also the opportunity in this space. It's very much overlooked because people it's taboo and people feel awkward about it. And there just isn't enough funding and isn't enough founders, but it's something that we like all do. Like, this is how people are born. Like, this is how you were born. There's a massive opportunity. And so it's changing like people are starting to look at the space more seriously now. Yeah. But it's just such an incredible opportunity. And there's a way to talk about it that's the same as it's the same as any other product. Right. Yeah. So in the course of your work, are there any social or cultural norms or just any examples you haven't given us yet that have like really surprised you or shocked you or that you wish you could change or that you love? So there's a couple of things. From a personal standpoint, a lot of people ask me what my dad thinks about my business. What? Okay. Whoa. Specifically your dad or Specifically my dad. And I'm like, okay, I don't know if this is sexist, if this is racist, I'm Asian or like what, but it comes up a lot. And I think the expected answer is like, oh, my dad has disowned me or, oh, he has no idea. But I guess in this current instance, the joke's on whoever's asking because my dad's also a founder 
And he sees this in a very business way. Amazing. And so he's like, okay, cool. Like, well, you need toilet paper for your ass. So you need this for your vagina. You found a problem. You found a market. Now go solve for it. Like he doesn't, he's like, yeah. Oh. Like, and so personally, it's been really great to have the support of my family yeah. and of my dad. Cause like every founder in the early days, I was shipping out of their house and like, that was my fulfillment center. But on a broader level, what is surprising is that when we are getting responses and opinions from people on the internet, it feels like we have almost slid backwards in time where people don't realize that their experience is not everybody's experience. Yes. yes. I'm sure you hear this all of the time. It's just like, okay, like that's wonderful for you, but not everybody yes. feels that way or not everybody's body works that way. Like there's no one correct way to do things. Yeah. And it almost seems like the proliferation of social media has kind of narrowed people's ability to understand or realize that. That is 100% the reason that I started my original podcast, Sex Stories, to literally just get a ton of humans to mostly anonymously share their personal details. Because I was like, oh, people are having conversations that make no sense to me personally, which means there must be experiences I don't understand, and there's probably lots of them. And so that's what I'm trying to kind of like bring to light. I was going to ask you what your husband thought, because that's like very inspirational come. Like, <laughs> so I've thought about putting him on our website as like the chief come officer. <laughs> so when I talk about sometimes stepping outside, my body and like kind of thinking about what I'm doing from a third party perspective. Yeah. Someone once said to me, they're like, okay, you literally built a business on the back of your husband's cum. Yes. Like, I think it's amazing. And <laughs> it's a crazy thing to think about, but no, he's incredibly supportive. And it's so funny because we got married fairly recently or maybe not recently because the pandemic has made time, time weird. Like <laughs> still anything, anything within a few years as recently. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Especially this year. Yeah, sometimes I, I asked him this fairly recently and I said like, you know, this stuff that I'm doing, like, how do you feel about it? And he's like, well, you told me you were going to do this on our first date. And I was like, okay, I may have said that on our first date, but whether or not I actually believed it when yeah. I said it at yeah. that time, I probably didn't. And now we're here and it's happening. And I'm grateful that he's comfortable with it. He's that's amazing. Like, yeah. That's my wife has come sponge company and it's, that's her thing. <laughs> <laughs> Cultural norm wise, is there anything you've discovered that you like super duper love? I'm imagining some version of like all the people you've helped. Yeah, I discovered through just talking to other founders and even working through our product development timeline, how impactful it can be to have more female founders, right? Because we're over half the population. We have unique experiences and body parts that are hard for the other half of the population to understand. And so just the shift towards more female founders, it makes me so happy. Yeah. And that shift of empowerment and embracing our experiences as unique experiences and as founders who can solve for those things because we go through them. Yeah. It's been a beautiful thing to see. And I'm so excited to just help and be a part of that and see that shift in terms of more funding and more founders and innovation. I yeah. think the innovation aspect, there's things that are far more complicated than what we're doing that are helping causes that are just so impactful. And it makes me so happy that 
there's women working on these things. That's amazing. What was it like going through the startup process as a woman doing this culturally taboo kind of thing? It's painful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it comes with its challenges. Like, were you pitching to VCs or what was your path? Yeah, I did pitch to VCs. Okay. So I definitely experienced what I'm sure you've heard from many other femtech founders yeah. of not understanding like, oh, like, is there even a market for this? Or, yeah. oh, is that what she's doing in the bathroom? I had no idea. Or let me ask my wife. Like, okay. So that definitely happened. I pitched to my fair share of female VCs as well. And just because they were female VCs didn't mean that they automatically right. understood the product or understood where I was going with the vision. So at the end of the day, I'm a firm believer in pitching to the right fit. So those who will understand your vision and they get it and they can offer help and support, whether it is a female VC or it is a male VC. So our investors ended up being men, oddly enough. Okay. Other than the shift that you noted in terms of female founders, are there any other cultural shifts that you've noticed sex-wise since you started your work? The cultural shift that I'm noticing as it relates to sex is that it feels like society is becoming more open to it, but I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this mm -hmm. carefully, and maybe you can help. Yeah. It also feels like there is policing within the community mm -hmm. in terms of what is right and what is wrong. Mm -hmm. And we have a physical product. I have many friends and founders that I know that have physical products that don't yet exist. Yeah. And so it seems that the response from that community as it relates to physical product innovation has been very like hot and cold. Mm. There are medical innovations in the space that would be categorized as a need like you would need it. They solve for a disease or something right. that, of course, we would like to prevent. Right. And there's other innovations of the space that are designed around comfort or yeah. personal experiences. Yeah, preferences. Preferences, yeah. exactly. And so they're not for everyone. And I think because so long the space has been dominated by men that there's an assumption that these products are created by men. Mm -hmm. A great example would be the pinky glove, which is a pink latex glove that was created by a group of men to remove tampons. <laughs> so as a tampon user, I can attest from my own personal perspective that that's not something that's necessary. Yeah. It, it's tough, right? Because you have things like that and you have things like dripstick, like what we're doing. That's yeah. not for everyone. Yeah. But it was invented by me from a personal experience. It was not invented by a man that's trying to make up a problem or just capitalize on something. So this is a conversation that we're actually having with our PR company. I'd love for you to stay in touch with them yeah, because we've I been will. calling it Femme Rage because a lot of the backlash has been from women. Yep. And I can understand why there might be this quick shift to be upset about new products. I mean, I get it. There's a lot of products that were created for us that, we don't need. Yep. And so I think we walk a fine line of what we need, what makes us comfortable, what our personal preference is. But I also strongly believe that when you have that backlash, you can stifle innovation. Yes. You know, as a founder, as an inventor, if you're seeing that happen on the internet, you might be compelled to just not go forward with your yes. idea. 
your idea could solve something incredible in five years. But if you see this like backlash or, you know, people trying to kind of like shut down these things that are happening, I mean, being a founder is hard enough. So to move forward in a space where people are getting angry at you, it makes it even harder. Yeah, it sounds really hard. I think one of my goals in opening up these conversations is to invite people inside to be curious rather than attack. Because what I've just seen over the past three years of having so many conversations with people about sex is that most of the time people aren't actually angry unless they feel like they have to protect something. You know, sex, I think, could be the great connector because like you said, it is the thing that we all have in common. And what you're saying about the preference thing, I don't know why that seems to be lost so often when we get to product. Like I have so many conversations with people and they're open and I have preferences that I share with them that are not their yums, but they don't yuck me because that's my rule. Like if it's legal and consensual, like I don't yuck your yum. And so I'm able to find these like little spaces where that's possible, but I notice that it doesn't extend to vibrator companies. It doesn't extend to product. So that's why I was so interested to talk to you. And the fact, I just love that it's called Awkward Essentials. Are you... Well, this is probably too early. You're going to have like a PR. Are you going to do other things? Yeah, our goal is to continue innovating in the awkward essential space. I'm interested in things like ingrown hairs and sweat and just like the other strange things that we go through that we don't really talk to people about. I think there's so many incredible companies that do pleasure products and lube and condoms and stuff like that. And that's not where we want to go. We want to go in the hygiene, awkward direction. Great. Oh, I love that. I'm a person that will get boils like near my butt crack. And I'm also a person who enjoys anal sex. And so like I have to like really take a lot of baths and like, you know, and so I'm just like, what do I do about this? And on the Internet, there's like, you know, it's like if it's really bad, you have to go to your doctor. And if it's anything else in between, you just sit on hot washcloths. So it's like that's a thing. You know, and it's not that often, but it's like I'll get one every few years. And that's way too many. Like I don't you know, so it's I don't know. See, no one has ever talked to us about this. And right. so that's really interesting, right? This is this thing that happens. I mean, I've gotten like a pimple in my butt and it's been like the most weird and comfortable thing. But I didn't like tell my friend, like, I have a pimple in my butt. What do I do? Yeah. I don't either because like I get yuck responses from people who are like, why did you tell me? And it's like, well, I don't know because it hurts to sit down. Like, I don't know, (laughs) you know? And also like I got my first boil on my butt, like on my butt cheek, not near my crack, but when I was two years old and I just remember, and it was really bad. And I remember like trying to run away from my parents and they would have to like, like they, they're medical professionals. So they would drain it. Like it was like a bad thing. And so that was just like a thing that it's not sex related. It's not shame related. It's just something my body did. But like, we don't talk about these things very often. So so I'm just throwing that out there to like practice examples for people and just want to invite any listeners to let Awkward Essentials know if you have any awkward personal problems that they could solve for. <laughs> I love, I mean, I never thought I would get into this space, but I think that these types of conversations are yeah. so interesting yeah. and they really open up the space in a way that what do you do for work just doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. And it's just so different. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'd love to hear about crusty nipples and ingrown hairs, like butt boils, really like anything. Yeah. What about earwax stuff? Because that's another orifice that like, like I just poke my ears all the time. I know this is not sex related, but like I'm just throwing that out there for another personal thing. I have so much like earwax buildup or just ear crusties all the time or I'll get pimples behind my ears. I wash them. I don't know what to do about it. I've gotten a pimple in my ear before. Mm -hmm. Me too. And you can't like pop it because it's such a weird, like you can't like get into your ear. Yeah. It's so hard. Okay. If you could wave a magic wand and teach everyone something about sex or personal private parts or shame, 
what would it be? I have to go back to what I said a couple minutes ago about how everyone's experiences are unique and different and your personal experience is not everyone's experience and that is okay. And I'd like to add a bonus one that your urethra is not your vagina. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And your vagina is not your clitoris. Yeah. And I do think it's really unfair, though, that the man part gets like one easy name and then people are like, clitoris, vagina, I don't know which hole. And then like we get to get mad at each other for saying the wrong thing, too. (laughs) I hate that. Okay. In as much detail as you're comfortable, how has your sex-related work affected your personal sex life? My sex-related work hasn't really affected my personal sex life, aside from the fact that I created a product for my personal sex life. Yes, I love Yeah, so you've solved your own problem greatly. Yeah, so I like solved my own problem and it's helpful. I guess what's kind of funny is like as we innovate and I like try new things, sometimes I'll have sex with my husband and he'll be like, are we having sex so you can test this thing? Oh my God, or- yes. Got No, guys on dating apps, old girls on dating apps too. When I swipe on people, they're like, are you just trying to get more stories? And I'm like, I don't, I have so many stories. No, what? go away. Okay. <laughs> I guess it's more teasy when it's your husband. You, like, have more reassurance. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm like, yes, I want to have sex with you because you're my husband. But bonus. I yeah, bonus. <laughs> husband and research tool. Right. <laughs> okay. What is, like, one of the silliest shame-related experiences that you've encountered in your work? I don't know if it's considered silly, but we do get a lot of men that like to weigh in on what we're doing. Ooh, like, what do they say? Like, this is unnecessary or <laughs> excuse me men do you not have come or are you just not coming in any orifices that could use this like I guess in that case it's definitely not necessary <laughs> yeah, right we have gotten some direct hate mail oh really yeah yeah we have like a haterade cork board in our office where we like post all the hate mail that we get oh my gosh hate videos whatever yeah we have a lot of men that weigh in on our product and okay. company which I don't know if that's silly I'd have to think about silly I guess something that I don't I wouldn't say it's silly but I think something that it's actually very cool is that 30% of our customers are men so we have men who are purchasing the product I love that it's so sweet because I talk to customers I spend an hour a day talking to customers every day and I've spoken to some of the men and they're just like I've heard my wife talk about this you know she's complained about it it's a problem and I want to fix the problem so I got the product and I'm like I love that logic incredible partner and it's just so heartwarming so silly is not the word but it's such a great experience I had to share no that's awesome and that makes me so happy because I actually have a really big problem with when my ad reps are connecting me to potential sponsors and things are hyper gendered in their presentation I find that harmful and I'm like you know that there's a lot of straight people right like people are having sex with each other so to market these products separately like like, I love that you think everyone is gay and you should market to- like sex products totally differently from women to men. And I love that you're like telling me about your research that like audio erotica is for primary females. But like my listenership is 70 percent male. So like I live in reality. I don't know. You know, and so I just love hearing that you have dudes that are purchasing stuff because I'm like, ah, I knew it. <laughs> yeah, we like love them. Like a lot of them are like, oh, like I just got it for like the just buy it, which yeah. I think is incredible and very unusual because, I mean, my husband would never buy me tampons unless I was like, can you buy me these, this color? Totally. He would have no problem, but I would have to tell him. And so something like this, 
I mean, I think it's great that they're recognizing, they're recognizing what's happening with their partner and they're hearing them and they're hearing their complaints and concerns. And another cool thing is that ever since we've had more couples purchasing the product, it's been opening up the conversation between the couple themselves, right? Because we have men in our private Facebook group and we've had men post and they say like, wow, like I didn't realize this was something that was happening until Mm -hmm. I saw this company. And so I started talking to my wife about it. And then we started having a conversation about all the other things. And so in a way, our existence has been a really surprising catalyst to just, opening up conversations amongst couples. Like it, to me, like it'd be great if you buy it, if not cool, but if it can like open up something and you can learn something about each other, then like, I'm very happy. Well, I can't help but wonder how many couples talked about their preferences and feelings around cum for the first time because they saw your cum sponge. Do you know what I mean? Because I hear that from people on the podcast, like they'll listen with a partner or something and then they'll be like, oh, and we talked about this type of play we want to explore because we you know, it's just the opener. And so that's so beautiful. How do you hope that your work is making the world a sexier place? Can I just copy and paste what I was just talking about? Yes! So we use humor as our unifier. That's kind of the way in which we look at things to allow people to feel a little bit more comfortable. There's a lot of really incredible brands that are sexy and take a more serious tone of voice. And I think it's great. We leverage humor. And so when we can bring people in with humor and allow them to feel more comfortable talking to their partner, or even if it just, even if it just slightly like cracks open the door to that conversation, then I think, I think we're getting there. And that's kind of what my hope is as we move forward. Awesome. If someone were theoretically in the process of raising funds to create a mobile dungeon and was considering becoming a dominatrix in the name of sex ed to go around the country to create a mock you documentary with a character. What advice would you give him or her when it comes to pitching to investors? I would say to structure it with numbers, with how big the market, just like you pitch any other business, because there are some investors that have a vice clause, so they can't invest in like cannabis or sex or anything like that. But there's a lot of investors. Wait, really? A vice clause? So there's some investors that have a vice clause. They just, they can't, even if they want to. So sometimes they'll put money into like other funds that can. And so at the end of the day, there are more and more investors that are like, whoa, this sex thing, what a huge market. And it's like, yeah, like (laughs) it's right. It's a huge market. And so they're realizing that. And so that's why I think really pitching it like, okay, it is a huge market. Let me show you why. Like, okay. let me show you the numbers and like the impact we can have and the revenue we could generate from this. And I think if you structure it in a way that demonstrates what that market need is, if they're smart, they'll say like, whoa, really big opportunity. Like it shouldn't matter what, you know, the makeup of it actually is. It shouldn't matter if it's sex related or not. The whole thing should be how big is the market and because it's sex it's massive because yeah. people just there's not enough people doing it yeah oh my god francis thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me Wyo. this was so much fun lovers that is this week's episode of sex at work please remember to subscribe on youtube or wherever you get your podcasts and be a lover who makes the world a sexier place by leaving us five stars and or a thumbs up and nice comments wherever you can 
If you want to hear personal stories from lovers around the world, go listen to Sex Stories wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to listen to more of my personal details, questions, or see my portraits, visit yolee.com slash lover. For merch and more ways to support, visit sexstoriespodcast.com. Go follow us on Twitter and Instagram at sexstoriespod and follow me at yolee. Sex at Work is a creation of me, Yolee, with editing by the one and only Kimberly Loftus. Let's keep practicing asking curious questions so that we can all make the world a sexier place. And of course, remember to share sex stories.